Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Man, that last song is so cool. Never heard that song before. It's cool. I like it. Your love changes everything. Amen? That is the truth. Well, hey, thank you guys so much for the prayers as we went back to Montana and we had uh, a great service for my dad and, and uh, got to meet a lot of family members I didn't know and all that kind of stuff. So it was really neat. We had a great time. My wife and I went skiing, so we didn't break anything, so that's good. She did make me take a lesson in the morning, so, you know, to refresh our memories of how to ski, so we did that. But interesting enough, yesterday was our 22nd anniversary, so we, uh, yeah, we, I have the privilege of having a beautiful wife, and, and not just on the outside, but on the inside that loves Jesus and uh, it's, it's truly a blessing to be uh, married to you. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, a couple things before we get started. I want to uh, mention uh, that, you know, as we have been asking for people, for servants in different areas, and we don't want to plug people in holes. We want people to fill uh, the places where they feel they're gifted, where the Lord has gifted them and all. And um, uh, this, you know, we have some people that are serving, have signed up to serve in children's ministry and, and, uh, the Praetors are doing Thursday nights right now and filling in for Maria. And just, uh, you know, we really want people to fill those areas where God is calling them because we're all called to serve, you know, and, uh, and that's one of the mandates that uh, we really want to um, instill in, in the disciples of Calvary Chapel is that uh, we're not, you know, with the, with the consumer mentality of church these days, you know, we want to be different. We want to be a light in the community. We want people... Uh, to fill, to fulfill the destiny that God has for them, and, and whatever He's gifted you to do, you have a ministry, whatever it is. And so, you know, we're thankful for the people that are, are stepping into their roles. And um, just recently, I, I want to make a mention um, that uh, Richard and Ruth Rees are going to um, kind of oversee our Foundations 101 slash New Believers Ministry. And so, we're so thankful for that because um, you know we we really n- people need to be discipled. That's part of the problem with. Uh, with I think the church today is there's great evangelism but this horrible discipleship and uh, we want to make sure that when you know if people are are new to the faith or maybe they've they've been in and out of the faith and they have a kind of a a, a, a sparse view of what what it means to be a Christian you know would you get with uh, Richard and Ruth and and see and see them and uh, they can help you uh, you know along the path to get you you know going along the 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 fa- you know going along hello did that just oh, hey here I am wow uh, you know just just to help you along your journey and so if you would see them that would be awesome again if if you've come to the faith recently and you know we have a we have a nice uh, a, a discipleship Bible study that they would love to take you through so if that's you make sure you see them will you raise your guys' hand so everybody knows who you are Richard and Ruth right here so praise the Lord for them and uh, yeah. Also, the, um, we are doing, uh, Leah actually had been uh, looking at, uh, oh, look at that. Oh, hey, <laughs> she, she's like, that's me. Uh, she, she's been working on, uh, uh, on, you know, some different ministry ideas outside of the, the church. And, you know, we want to be exterior with the gospel. And so the Lord kind of led her to, to the maternity ward at Murray Regional Hospital. And she, she talked to... Uh, um, 
a the, the nurses there and all. And, and so what we're doing is we're putting together these little newborn packets of, of bags that have, you know, uh, you know, diapers and toys and, and onesies and uh, wipes and, you know, probably bottles and different things like that and a Bible and some, some information to help them along the way, um, you know, spiritually. And uh, we're, we're, as a church, we're donating these to the maternity ward there for people who are coming in that don't have the means to be able to take care of the baby that they've just had. And so we're, 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 we want to kind of get them, uh, you know, help them out as much as we can. And, and hopefully it will um, steer them on the path of, you know, following the Lord if they aren't already. And if they are, then praise the Lord, we can just be a resource for them. But it's, it's, if you guys would be want to partner with us on that, that would be awesome. You know, as a church, we're, we're going to do, we, we would love to just do it as a, a donation thing where we, we have a list of items that we would love for you to donate. If you want to be part of that, you can, uh, um, we'll, we'll, do we have that list today? We'll have it, we'll have it next week. And um, you can you can grab that list and you can see Leah if you're interested in, in that. But what a great ministry just to be able to love on people and uh, you know get them the gospel in whatever means possible. We're going to also be doing some things where we're going to deliver some biblical color books to maybe the children's um, wing there at the hospital for kids to you know get some Bible stories while they're coloring and uh, be more active in, in that portion of the um, of our community. And so. Uh, if you're interested in, in being part of that, let us know. That would be great. And uh, again, let us know where God is calling you to serve. If it doesn't exist here, maybe he's calling you to start it. Amen? That's kind of the way Calvary Chapel is, you know. We let things die when they die, and when God wants to burst something, we, we get behind it and we support it. Amen? That's what's called walking by the Spirit, folks. You know, we, we don't want to be mechanical in what we're doing. The Spirit, He moves, and He changes, and he, he does things differently in different times and different places. So, you know, here we are, February 4th, 2017. He's not moving the same here today as He was, you know, 2,000 years ago, but He's still moving. So we, we praise the Lord for that. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 17 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. John chapter 17 and uh, th this is an incredible uh, set of scripture, uh, and, and it's one of those that, as a pastor, you pray over diligently. You're like, Lord, don't let me mess this up, because this is so rich and so incredible that, I mean, how do you even expound upon this, really, to be honest, but it's, it's awesome. So John chapter 17, I um, want to welcome all of our online audience, glad you're with us this morning. And uh, John chapter 17, stand with me if you would please. We're going to read a few verses to get going this morning. Uh, Jesus is on the way to the cross. This is the last few hours of life. And these are the last, some of the last words he speaks to his disciples. And here's what he says. John chapter 17 verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Just even the way that it starts. The depth of the riches of the words of Jesus. As a father speaks, as a son speaks to his father about us. What an incredible passage we have before us, Lord. Will you help us to not see this in 
third person, Lord, but in first person this morning. That these are words that you're speaking about us to your Father. The prayer that you have for us as your children, as your disciples, your learners. God, would you help us to see the relationship you so desire in our lives. And we ask that you would just draw us closer to you this morning. God, that you would prepare our hearts for communing with you and remembering what you've done for us upon the cross as we partake of the the symbols of the body and the blood of Christ this morning. God, what a wonderful morning you've planned for us. We ask that you would come by your spirit and just speak to our hearts. Change us, make us like Jesus. We pray in his name. And all God's people said, as Fred would say, amen. So, when I was, uh, lived in Montana, I worked for a supplement company, dietary supplement company, and uh, uh, my boss, Jeff, and his dad, and our purchasing agent and myself went to a trade show in Anaheim, California. It's a huge trade show, one of the biggest trade shows in the dietary supplement industry, and in fact, all natural foods is all mixed in with it as well, so it's huge. It's in the Anaheim Convention Center, so we get on this plane, and we go to Anaheim, and uh, there had been a growing tension between my boss, Jeff, and this purchasing agent because uh, he didn't feel like he was doing his best to get us the best prices on ingredients. Like He was putting in minimal effort, and um, so my boss and he were kind of at odds when they got on this plane. They're both Christians, by the way. And so we get, we get there to Anaheim, and as I mentioned, there's like 2,000 booths there, you know, at the show, and you're thinking, this is going to take, this, you go for days, because it takes days to get through it, and, uh, you know, about two hours into the show, uh, I was with my boss, we were meeting somebody, and here comes the purchasing agent, and he says, well, I'm about wrapped up here, I've, I did the show, so I'm just going to head back to the hotel, now I can see steam start to come out of my boss's ears, you know, he's fuming mad, and he looks at the purchasing agent, and he says, hey, there's no way that you did this show in two hours, and if you did, you didn't do it thoroughly enough, so you go back and do it again, and so the guy takes off and, and all, and then my boss, Jeff, and his dad go to one of the many, many restrooms in this uh, convention center. There are uh, probably a hundred restrooms there, right, and so they, they find their way to a restroom, and, and my boss, Jeff, is in there just a, a, a son talking to his father uh, about this person, about this purchasing agent, and he's just He's going off on him. He's not unleashing, and he's unleashing. He's venting because he's so upset about this man. He's saying things like he's not doing his job, and, you know, he's taking advantage of me, and I'm sure of many other choice things that he was saying there. And, uh, you know, he wraps up his vent with his dad, and here out of the very back stall of the bathroom comes this shaky, quaky voice, Sorry, Jeff. The purchasing agent had unintentionally heard the entire conversation as he came out of the bathroom. So word to the wise, check the stalls before you start venting. Amen? It's an interesting story that has some application to what we find here in in John chapter 17. Where we have a a son talking to his father about his disciples. This text is, is Jesus praying for himself, for the 11 apostles, and for you and I. 
if you're looking for yourself in the Bible somewhere, here it is. In the last portion of this text, verses, uh, the text, verses 20 through 26, Jesus is specifically praying for you. It is an incredible, rich text that I hope we don't miss. You know, somebody once said that, you know, there are certain portions of text that you don't want to take apart because if you try and take them apart, you make a mess out of it, and this is one of them. This is an incredible uh, prayer. This is Jesus' heart to his Father for you. And I hope that you personalize this this morning. I was praying, Lord, I don't know how to really come up. I have my notes and all of that, but I, I, don't, I don't know how to express your heart for what you're saying here. Thankfully, the Spirit of God is here, and that's his work, and that's what he does. Don't miss the intimacy of the words of Jesus here. As Dan talked about last week, this right here is all about relationship. Jesus is saying, I have such a love for these people that I am willing to lay down my life. He understands the call, and he's counted the cost, and you're worth it. And he loves you. Don't miss what he's saying here. This is the longest prayer recorded in the Bible by Jesus. This isn't the only prayer recorded in the Bible by Jesus, but this is the longest prayer. Now, now this prayer could, you know, we could read it in probably three or four minutes and we'd be like, okay, there's Jesus's, he's, it's a public prayer, his disciples are there. Uh, it's, you know, three, four minutes long and, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem that long, but it is, it is packed with the heart of God for you. It is packed. And, and, you know, Jesus prayed so many times. He prayed about so many different things. He felt like prayer was so important. And in the last few hours of his life, he takes this time to pray specifically for himself, for his disciples, and for us. That he begins that work of the gospel going into the world right here through a prayer. And he, and he prays that he would, you know, for himself here first. He begins there. Now, um, th this text brings incredible comfort to our hearts because we know that Jesus didn't just pray that prayer and that was it, but he is praying prayers for you even right now, the Bible says. He's interceding for you. He is making intercession for you. He is praying for you right now before the Father. Jesus believes in prayer. I've entitled the message, When God Prays, because that's exactly what we find here, God praying. Let's take a look at Jesus as he begins praying for himself in verse 1 there where he said, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. Now, you have to understand, Jesus just got the dissertation that he just gave from John chapter 13 all the way through 16 was these words that is pointing, pointing us backwards. He just got done telling them everything that was going to happen. And after he, after he informs his disciples about what's going to take place, preparing them, for what's going to take place, that he's going to go to the cross and all, then he lifts his eyes up. What a proper posture to have on this earth. Eyes that are lifted up, gazing upon the Lord. Because we know that the horizontal gaze brings nothing in our lives in terms of the ability to strengthen us, to comfort us, uh, to bring peace in our lives. It's only the horizontal gaze or the, the vertical gaze that will bring those things in our life. It's a posture. It's a posture that we should have always. That's why the Bible reminds us, set your mind on things above and not on the earth. 
Get your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. It reminds us to keep our eyes vertical. Jesus understood that more than anyone, to keep his eyes on his Father, and he did that. Now, here we find Jesus praying for himself. I hope this clears up the misnomer that you ought not pray for yourself because it's the least you can do for yourself, really, when you think about it. It's the greatest thing you can do for yourself. And here we find Jesus, you know, praying for himself. Jesus, you know, is about to come to that place of glorification. So he begins to pray about that. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may may glorify you. Now, Jesus begins to pray about this glorification. What is he speaking about? He's, he's been speaking about an hour, right? From, from day one, he started from, for the three years that he's been in ministry, he's been speaking about a specific hour. And you recall, many times he would say, my hour has not yet come. And now we have here Jesus saying, my hour has come. It's now. My hour has come. It, it is now time for me to fulfill the ministry. It's now time for me to be glorified. Now, there are two different kinds of glory that Jesus speaks of in, this, in these first eight verses. The first glory he's speaking of is the glory that he finds when he's lifted up upon the cross and all eyes are on him and he dies for you and I. He begins to pray about that hour, about that glorification. He says, Father, glorify your son. Let's do this. I'm ready. And we'll see here in, in the coming couple weeks where Jesus will be weeping as he's praying and he will be sweating great drops of blood where, you know, as he considers the hour that is coming where he will be crucified. He understands the pain that will, that the anguish that will be accompanying the hour that he is called to. This is an hour that his father has prepared him for since the foundation of the world. Before we even began, before you were created, before this world existed, Jesus knew that he would be slain. He understood that that was, that was you know, part of the cosmic plan that God had when he, he through his foreknowledge, uh, you know, looks into uh, the future and sees man fall at the garden and he makes a way for you and I. He's right there. He speaks the gospel to the serpent through Eve. He says, she will bear a son, and that son will crush your head. And this is the hour that Jesus was created. He understands this hour. He understands the anguish that will come for this hour. And so what does he do? He prays, glorify your son, that your son might glorify you. Now, you think, Lord, how is the father going to be glorified through the Son in this. Well, here we find what's called redemption. Here we find the Father being glorified through the Son before the plan of redemption where God Himself would come down and He would pay the price for your sin. He would be crucified on a cross, laid in a grave and risen to glorify His Father. Jesus and the Father will be glorified through the cross. That's what He's saying. It's time. It's time for this to happen. He goes on here, and he speaks about why this hour has come. Verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now here it's interesting that Jesus breaks just for a moment, and he speaks about this is eternal life. 
Notice he doesn't, re- he doesn't mention uh, religion. Notice he doesn't mention any work that a human being can do. Notice he mentions the word give. Eternal life is a gift. Jesus Christ paid the price. There is nothing more for you to do when it comes to salvation. He has done it all and he has given it to you because he has all authority, i.e., Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has all authority to give eternal life to you and I. And he did that by laying down his life, by giving us the gospel to proclaim, to receive for ourselves, and then to go and give out to others in this world. That is why he came. He speaks right here about the Father giving him these people. We, could, we, we can't dive into what that means exactly of how the Father would give them to the Son because that would get us off course of the prayer. If Jesus wanted us to understand that in this moment, he would have expounded. There are so many rabbit trails we could take in this, in this passage, but I want you not to miss the part of relationship that he's talking about here where the Son is giving you relationship with the Father through his own sacrifice that he would lay down his life. This is eternal life. That they know you, Father, through me. The one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The Father is part of redemption just as much as the Son was. And so too is the Spirit of God just as much part of redemption as Jesus himself. He has given us salvation. He has completed the task. He has now done everything that his father said for him to do. He he sent him to to bring the gospel. And that's exactly what he's done. He's taught the disciples what they need to know. And trust me, that was no easy task. They're still confused. We'll see that here, uh, you know, moving forward as he as he is crucified and he raises again from the dead. They're still confused. They don't understand everything, but he has delivered the message. And this is the beautiful thing about the Word of God because Jesus is literally delivering the Word of God to his disciples. The beautiful thing about it is it never returns void. And so as he brought the Word to them, although they didn't comprehend and didn't understand, the light bulb would go off at different times in different places for different disciples just as it does for you and I. I'm amazed at how the light bulb goes off sometimes. You know, I'm thinking... I've been telling you that for like, you know, five years. And it went off because you saw, you know, you were sitting in a light and all of a sudden, you, you know, it's just amazing how the Spirit of God works. The Word of God never returns void. And that is why we ought to spend time in the Word. Jesus came to give us the Word because the Word is life. And in the Word, we have life. He is the Word. And He has completed His task And he knows now the cross is at hand. Not only that, but he also understands that after the cross comes further glorification for the Son. Look at verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifest your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, 
that they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus is not only going to be glorified through the cross, but also through his ascension to heaven. He says, glorify me to the glory. Restore the glory that I once had before. What is he talking about? Jesus Christ is speaking about the glory that he once had that he laid down to come to earth. Paul expounds on this idea in Philippians chapter 2 where he tells us in verse 7 that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Jesus literally took off his you know, deity, if you will, and he came to earth. Now, he was still God at the very same time of being human. He took off his glory. You know, there's a point in which, in one of the Gospels, where Jesus is in the garden and he's about to be arrested, and it says that, you know, something, in, in, it's as if Jesus peeled back the flesh for a second and the soldiers fell down as dead men when Jesus spoke because he's God in the flesh. You see, but he laid down his glory. He set it aside. He became a man, but still fully God. What he did was limited himself to the same power that Adam had in the, in the Garden of Eden. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam, because he is the perfect Adam, and he will not fail at the task that he's called to do. Adam was set in the garden, and he sinned. Jesus was sent to, to re- rectify the situation from the Garden of Eden, and he is the second Adam, and he has he is set aside his glory to do it. Only God could do this, folks. Only the Lord could do it. If there was any other way for salvation to come, God would have sent someone else, but rather than one failed attempt after another, Jesus just came himself, and he gave up his own life, and he set aside his glory to come for you and I, and now he is saying the hour has come for you to restore me back to that glory. Now, right here we see the deity of Jesus Christ, that he has had glory from eternity past. You know, there are those that will say, well, how can Jesus be God, and what is he doing praying to himself, and they have all these, you know, I I suppose it's trying to be logical as it relates to this, but, you know, logic doesn't work always in the Bible. It does a lot of times, but but when it says that God created the world with his words, that's very unlogical, very hard for me to grasp. Therefore, if I can get through the first five words of the Bible, I should have no problem believing the rest of it. And that is the truth. You know, Jesus, he came, he set aside his glory from eternity past. He was God. He was not a created being. He is God. And here we find himself subjecting himself to sinful man that he might redeem us. He says it's time for me to ascend to the glory that I once had. And he is ready for that. And and not only that, we one day will see him in his glory and we too will be returned to glory where we are, are perfect, where our bodies are now been glorified and there is no more sin within us. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. I long for that day. I can't wait where I don't have to battle myself where I don't have to question my motives, where I don't have to wonder if, you know, am I really doing what you're calling me to do, God? And I'm in this pondry. All of that will be gone, and I will be perfect, and you will be perfect if you put your place, your faith in Jesus Christ, and you have a relationship with the Father through the Son. 
we will too be with him in heaven one day and our bodies will be perfect. We will be glorified. Jesus says, restore me to the glory that I once had. He goes on here. He, he's prayed for himself. He is saying pre, he's prepared for the cross. He is ready to be glorified both on the earth and in heaven. And now he, he turns his prayer to his apostles in verse 9. He says, I'm praying for them. I can imagine Jesus in this moment, literally. I don't know if he's on the ground. I don't know if he's standing up. I, I don't know if he's, I'm praying for them, pointing to them, looking to them. I don't know. They're there. They can hear what he's saying. But he said, I'm praying for them. Now, if you're a disciple, you're an apostle of Jesus, you're like, yeah, pray for me, Jesus. Pray for me. Yeah, yeah, pray that I would be the greatest. You know, that's the conversation they're having with each other up to this point. Pray for me, Jesus, that I might sit at your right hand, that I might sit at your left hand. <laughs> They're totally clueless. That's why Jesus is praying for them. That's why Jesus is praying for you. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. Jesus begins to pray for his 12 disciples, 12 apostles, his 11 actually, Judas is not there, that firstly that they might be kept by the Father. I love the idea that you, are, you and I are kept by the Father. We're in his hand. No one can take us from his hand. We are kept by him. I love that concept. You know, as you look at this word and what it means to be kept, it means to continue, to help them to not lose heart, to keep them focused, that he keeps them in that way. And I promise you that he's keeping you today you would be distracted if he wouldn't. It's his spirit that continually woos you to the Father. He is what causes you to love him. God has put, that, put his love in you through the Spirit of God. That's the first fruit of the Spirit is love. That you would not only love one another, but that you would love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That is not something the flesh can do. It's only something the Spirit of God can do in the heart of a believer. To love the way that he loves. He is saying, man, I'm praying for them because they need it. This world is now turning hostile. Up to this point, Jesus has kept them from the hostility of the world. He's sent them off. He's done different things. He's, he, they've escaped. They have not really received any persecution. He sent them out two by two. They were fine. They came back. But now Jesus says, keep them, Father, because the world has turned hostile towards Jesus. And anything that represents Jesus, as Jesus is crucified, the hostility of the enemy will begin to work in the world against anything and everything that represents Jesus. Jesus says, keep them, Father. Keep them. You know, and we need that because it's hard to swim upstream all the time. We need for the Father to continue to push us forward, to, to prod us on, to fight the good fight, to encourage us, to equip us, to give us fruit for our labor. Jesus is asking for sustainability here. Keep them, Father. 
He knows we need it. I want you to understand where it comes from. It doesn't come from within, that sustainability. It comes from above. Listen, if you're losing faith today and you're looking within to gain strength, to be able to do it, you will continue to fail. The reality is our help comes from above, the Bible says. And so where we look for help is not within. That's what the world says. Let your selfishness come out. Just look within and be whoever you are. The Bible says no. Be who he made you to be, but you have to look up in order for that to happen. He has to give you the faith to to believe to become who it is that he's calling you to be. You can't do it from within. It has to come from above. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's asking them to be kept. Secondly, he's asking them to be guarded. Look at verse 12. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Jesus now begins to pray for protection for them. He's saying, hey, I'm leaving the world. The world is hostile. It's going to continue to be hostile. They're going to face persecution. Lord, would you protect them from themselves first and foremost? I need protection from me the most, but also from the world. They're not of the world. They have been changed. They've been transformed, and the world doesn't like that. It's funny how there is unity against anything that is anti-world, that is pro-God, because there's teams. You can't even see the teams. Sometimes you don't even know. You, you look on, you see, how can the world somehow unify itself to become against Christ? And yet it happens, doesn't it? It happens often. There's a unification from the evil one that will come against Christ and the Lord says, guard them, protect them, Father, that they would continue to press forward even through the persecution. What Jesus said, he prayed right here. I want you to hear his words. I did not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would guard them in the world. That's his prayer for you. So oftentimes our prayer is, God, take me out of the situation. It's so difficult for me. I, I, I'm, I'm dying here, Lord. How can you leave me in this situation? I thought you loved me. And he says, hey, I'm working all things out for your good. You don't understand this right now, but sit and allow me to do my work. All things work together for good. He is in the midst of the trial accomplishing something great in you that wouldn't otherwise be accomplished some other way. And so our prayer ought to be, Lord, help me to, to, to walk through this trial successfully. Sustain me, Lord. Give me faith. Help me to stand strong, Lord. Help me not to cower against the pain, against the trouble that I'm facing. The Lord's prayer is that you would be guarded, not taken out of your situation. There is great learning through difficulty, isn't there? Listen, it's funny how when persecution comes upon the church that the church never dies. It multiplies. That's a rhyme. Write it down. Somebody rap that. Swill, are you here? 
Uh, so here's the thing. Jesus is, is, is telling us here that I lost my point now. That rap thing really threw me off. I don't even know what I was talking about, man. Moving on, verse 17. Here's the third point that he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The, the word sanctified here, Jesus is saying I want them to be sanctified. That word also could be translated holy. It's the same word, comes from the same root word. It means to be set apart. Jesus is saying, Father, set them apart from the world. Don't allow them to get sucked into the world. Because the world, what, what, what fellowship can light have with darkness? You know, the world will suck the Jesus right out of you, folks. That's why he's saying be separate from the world. Yes, go into the world. Take the gospel into the world. And, and we, we could probably do a better job at that, of taking the gospel into the world. But we cannot separate ourselves from the world. And yet we have to remain separate when it comes to, you know, our being, who we are. We have to understand that we are in the world for a mission. That's the only purpose. There's no other reason for us to be in the world you know, we have worldly friends for the purpose of mission that we would bring the gospel to them. Don't separate yourself, Christian, completely from the world to where you are ostracized and you don't have, you, you have no concept of who the world is or what they're going through. You can't relate to them at all. You know, but also don't become so much like the world, so relatable to the world that they can't see Jesus in you. You know, we have to have this sanctification where we are set apart and yet we are still missional where we are, you know, we are living for Christ and we are staying holy. We're not allowing the world's, you know, uh, fruit to, the, the bad fruit to, to rub off on us, but we are going to the world with the purpose of bringing the gospel to people who need to hear it. You know, Jesus never asked his disciples to set up a camp outside of the town and then just bring Christians out to it and leave them there. No, no, he said, go into the world and make disciples. We got to go. We're called to go, but we have to remain separate. And there's a fine balance there. And I think that, you know, it's different for every person. You know, there are those that remain, can have the ability to remain separate when they go into the world and may maybe they're ministering bars or wherever it might be. Hey, that might not be your call and that might not be your, your capacity, but don't dog somebody else who feels that that's their calling. You know, I don't pretend to know what the Lord does and how he does it, you know, as long as... Um, you know, he's in it. It doesn't matter to me. Amen. I don't really care. And, if, and, and God will never contradict himself. You know, so be careful that we don't put God in a box and this is how he is and this is how he works because he is, he is unique. He does, he does all kinds of things that would blow your mind. And so, you know, I just say that to say be careful. Be sanctified but not so sanctified that you're unrelatable. He prays for their sanctification. He tells them be holy. That's what the word tells us to be, is set apart, to be holy for he is holy. Um, he reminds them uh, that, that, that what creates that holiness within us is his word. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We remain separate by continually getting God's word into us. And his word keeps us separate from the world. It helps us know where the lines are. Where are the lines on this? Well, what does the word of God have to say about it? And that is the line for us, folks. 
What is the line? What is the Spirit of God and conviction in your heart saying about what it is that you're dealing with? Are you convicted by the Spirit? Then maybe that's sin for you. There are Christian liberties, and there, then there is just the clear black and white Scripture. Christian liberties are those in which, you know, might be, you know, it might be okay for me to do something and it might not be sin for me, but it might be sin for you if you somehow materialize that into some idol or something or you allow something to become controlling in your life more than the Lord. There are Christian liberties, you know, and you have to determine those on your own by the Spirit of God. But there are plain black and white things that we ought to hide in our hearts that we might not sin against him. It's his word that gets us to that place. He goes on here and he prays for his disciples that they would remain separate, that his word would keep them holy as he is holy, that they would be consecrated as he is consecrated, that he is sanctified, set apart, different than the, way, the world. And then Jesus now turns to speak about us here in verses 20 through 26. I do not ask that these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples, the apostles that would go into the world, it's through their presentation of the gospel that we believe. Verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. They may become perfectly one so that the world may know that, that you sent me and loved them just as you have loved me. Jesus prays not for your knowledge. Jesus prays not for, you know, your conformity to some religious aspect. Jesus prays for our unity. Is that interesting? That Jesus in these moments, the very last moments of his life, begins to think of you and I who would be sitting here February 20. February 4th, 2018, and he would pray for you and I for unity. Is that interesting? Because the, the, the church is not unified, is it? Because everybody's trying to build their own kingdom and everybody's trying to keep their own sheep and all of this kind of stuff. Listen, we are the body of Christ, folks. And we are not trying to do anything other than fulfill the thing that God has called us to do here in Columbia, Tennessee. And, you know, if God decides to do something different, then praise God. But at the end of the day, let us not be like this. Protect me, Lord, from becoming a shepherd that's like this. You know, we are one in spirit. There is one spirit, and he is amongst all believers, and he is pulling us all to unite together for the same purpose, to take the gospel into the world. And why we separate over, over just ridiculous things Jesus understood that was going to happen and his prayer is that we might be unified. Because understand when the body of Christ is unified, we become unstoppable. You know, the enemy loves to keep us fighting amongst ourselves so that we forget about the mission that we're called to. If he can keep us inner focused on us and what we're doing here, then we, we have the blinders on and we miss the opportunity out there. He says, man, if you were unified as a body, what could you accomplish as a body? If we could be unified with the Pentecostals, the Church of Christ, the Baptists, all these people, if we could come together, could you imagine how we could reach Columbia? You imagine what we could do, the, the, the capacity of being able to outreach, 
you know, and, and I believe fully that in God's, listen, permissive will that he's allowed this fracture. This is not his perfect will, folks. There is one church, and it's not Baptist, and it's not Pentecostal, and it's not Calvary Chapel. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And, and he wants us to be unified as a body. Listen, we may disagree on things. They may be, may be doctrinal things as we read his word and we're prayerful about it and we say, I, I just truly don't see it that way. Hey, praise God. If it's a secondary issue, meaning it's not a salvation issue, then you love the brother and you just keep moving on. Praise God. We can be unified in the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price for me, for you, and we can be unified in that. Let's celebrate that. Let's love each other in that. And yet, we'll sit here and squabble over in fact, oftentimes, things that go beyond the Scripture that we're trying to explain the intricacies of how these things work and we're going beyond what even God's Word says because we have to figure these things out. And that is the Greek mentality, actually. It's how the Greeks were. It's why Paul, as he was, he had to be so thorough because they were so meticulous. But Jews, they understood things in broad scope terms. When you said the tree was bad, they said, great, the tree is bad. They didn't try and figure out why the tree was bad and how it worked. They just believed it was bad. Big, broad scopes. Maybe our mindset should change into that capacity to just take the word in a bigger, broader scope and not go beyond what it says, but just to believe it. You know, and... And, you know, I'm having these conversations even today about Calvinism, Arminianism. How does the sovereignty of God work with the, the free will of man and all this kind of stuff? And I just say, you know what? I don't know. I don't think the Bible says. But I think that you can't reconcile both because God draws all men to himself and man has to respond. Amen? There it is. Take it for that for what you want, but that's what the Bible says. And I can't go beyond that because that's what it says. And I, I don't have to reconcile these things. I can be 100% comfortable saying, I don't know, but that's what it says. And here's the other thing. I mean, we do this all the time with Scripture, don't we? I'm passionate about this stuff, man, because I think we're fighting over stupidity, guys, over stupid things of man-centered stuff. Let's keep it about Jesus. Let's keep it about the Word of God and, you know, not somebody else's interpretation of the Word of God, nor my interpretation of the Word of God. If you don't see it the same, then praise God. You know, let's, it, it, if it's not a salvation issue, let's just keep on trucking on and be on mission to take the gospel into the world. Amen? Because the enemy wants to keep us separated. But Jesus prays that we would be unified. Not only that, but that we would, th that the world may know that you sent me and the love, um, he, he, goes, he tells us why it's important that we're unified here, that the world um, may believe that you have sent me. You see, as we are unified as a body, the world sees that and they say, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus is unified. You know, when Jesus was on earth, he wasn't saying how great he was and how lesser the Father was, was he? He's saying, I know more than the Father. <laughs> that's what we do, though. Oh, no, the Father doesn't understand that. Let me explain it to you. That's what we do, though. Jesus said that the world might know you. They might believe through our unification. You see, the more we divide, the less the world wants any part. What is our mission again? 
What is our mission to be doctrinally correct? Yes, I mean, it is. But our mission is to take the gospel into the world, folks. That's the mission. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And there are brilliant minds that can figure out this stuff, you know, on a way greater level than I can, and they can go beyond the scriptures if they want, but that's not my conversation. Keep it about the gospel. Jesus prays for specifically for anyone and everyone here. He prays for those, any and every believer that will come, that they would be unified. That they would also be perfectly one, he says, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as, not only is unification draw the unbeliever in here, but it demonstrates the love of Christ to them. You know, as we are loving each other at different people, we all come from different backgrounds, and you, and you walk into a room like this, and you go, how can all these people love each other? That is so strange. It is because it's not possible outside of the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit that unifies to, to make us perfectly one that we would love each other the way that Christ calls us to love, the way that he's loved, the way that the Father loved him, the way that he loves the Father. That, that the love of Christ might come through you. Do you hear the words of Jesus for us here? You hear the cry for relationship, that we would stay in communion with him, that we might be able to stay in fellowship with each other, that we would be unified. Jesus prays for himself here that his mission is now about to end. He turns to, about, to, to praying for his apostles, saying, Father, protect them, sanctify them, guard them, because they are the first line of defense going into the world to take the gospel be with them, and then he prays that you and I would believe their words and we would be unified and we would display the love of Christ through our unity here. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that I find comfort in. It's a prayer that Jesus is praying right now for us, I believe. I believe he's still making intercession for us and he's praying for that unity because it's so important. Listen. Jesus' final prayer here that we have recorded is, is one for us, and it's really for you. And I hope you personalize it this morning and take it to heart and allow his word to transform. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. We just glory, in Father, and your son, Lord, and all that he's done for us and going to the cross being crucified on our behalf, dying and then raising again from the dead victoriously, giving us the ability to come in saving grace, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, into relationship with you. Lord, we pray this morning for every heart here today that they would sense the intimacy of the prayer even as they're his apostles, they, they, they were in earshot distance. As Jesus would pray this prayer, he would, he, they, they would listen in intently upon the words of a son to a father. And as we have overheard your words, Lord, may we be captivated by your love for us today. May you turn our hearts back towards you, God. Lord, if there's anything in our lives right now, this moment, 
any darkness at all, God, would you help us to turn it over to you this morning? Your prayer for us specifically is that we would be one and that your love would flow through us in such a way that we would be unified with each other that the world might see it. There's no way that we can do that if there's darkness in our heart, God. And so we pray, as brothers and sisters, just being honest before our God today, Lord, here's an area of my life I need to turn over to you, that you would cleanse me and forgive me. You would help me, God, for the things that my mind would think, Lord, for the things that my lips would speak, my ears would hear, my hands would do, my feet would go, Lord that you would cleanse us this morning, Lord. You would turn our hearts back towards you 100%, Lord, that we can be what you're calling us to be here, Lord. We want to be the, the, the praise report in heaven for you, God, that your prayer is answered in our life as we just turn to you. The power of your Spirit is here amongst us today, Lord. You are stirring our hearts. Would you just draw us into that place this morning? as we are preparing our hearts for communion, Lord. You died for us. You shed your blood for us. Your body was broken for us, Lord. Let us not come flippantly to the table this morning, Lord. Lord, change our hearts even right now. Repentance is, is an act that's immediate. Forgiveness is given. That we would repent even before we partake, Lord, that we would not be flipping about your table this morning. Lord, I would be amiss if I didn't say if there's anyone here this morning, God, that doesn't know you, that you draw them to yourself, giving them faith even now to believe in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He died for my sin personally. And you're Word tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so if there's anyone here this morning, may they pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, I come to you confessing I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. You're that Savior. You died on the cross for me. You rose again from the dead for me, creating relationship with your Father through your sacrifice. I want that this morning. I'm giving you my life. I'm confessing you as Lord, believing in your resurrection. Make me a Christian this morning in Jesus' name. And Lord, you know that if they pray that prayer by faith, that you transform their lives. So Lord, have your way in our hearts, Lord, this last few moments of this time together. And uh, just may your spirit move. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.